They say markets work a certain way. They say if you want high returns, you have to accept higher risks. Cox Automotive says, you take the upside, we'll take the risk. Introducing Upside by Cox Automotive, the all-new way to wholesale that turns that old wisdom upside down. Visit TakeTheUpside.com to learn more. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, November 28th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, vehicle production in North America ticks up again. VW halts production at a China plant amid a COVID wave, and Tesla's automated driving system is now available to customers previously deemed not safe enough to test it out. Plus, a conversation with the CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation about how the Inflation Reduction Act's EV tax credits are taking shape. It isn't really designed to be a consumer incentive. In my view, it's a bit of a missed opportunity. We've been very clear about that. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. North American vehicle production rose 15% in October from a year earlier, chalking up a ninth straight month of year-on-year gains. That's according to the Automotive News Research and Data Center. The month brought an output of more than 1.3 million light vehicles, bringing the year-to-date total to 12.4 million vehicles. That's a 13% jump from a year ago. While October's output was the lowest since July, the continued gains reflect progress after almost three years of turbulence driven by the COVID-19 pandemic. In China, however, vehicle assembly has hit a snag again. Volkswagen Group's plant in Chengdu, China, has halted production due to the rise in coronavirus cases in the country. A VW spokesperson says two production lines at its Chengchun plant are also on hold. The German automaker says other plants are all stable, but the situation is volatile. Protests erupted in cities across China over the weekend as frustrations mount over the government's zero COVID policy. BMW CEO Oliver Zipsa said on Friday that the brand sees further COVID-19 related lockdowns in China as a risk for next year. Tesla is making its controversial driver assistance system available to anyone in North America who has bought the option and requests it from their car screen. That includes customers previously deemed not safe enough behind the wheel to test it out. Until now, some paying customers have been blocked from accessing the beta version of the feature known as full self-driving because they did not score highly enough on metrics that Tesla uses to set insurance rates. The FSD feature still requires a fully attentive driver to keep their hands on the wheel and be ready to take over at any moment. This disconnect has opened Tesla up to intensifying legal and regulatory risk. In other Tesla product news, Reuters reports that the EV maker is working on a redesign of the Model 3 sedan that aims to reduce costs. The new version is slated to go into production in Shanghai in the third quarter of next year. Two people with knowledge of the effort told Reuters Tesla did not issue a comment. And while Teslas have become so common along the California coast that many consider them like the Hondas and Toyotas of the local market, in large swaths of the American heartland, electric vehicles remain rare. For years, automakers restricted EV sales to states with mandates for zero emission vehicles. Now, with more mainstream models coming to market and charging infrastructure improvements, S&P Global predicts that EVs will become much less scarce across 22 non-coastal states from Nevada to West Virginia. 
In its November report, S&P Global points out that new electric vehicles are coming in a greater variety of body styles to better address consumer taste throughout the U.S. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, North American vehicle production rose 15% in October. It's starting to seem like production is slowly but surely getting the industry back to somewhat normal. And I use normal loosely. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. It's uh it's getting there. It's getting there, right? We're seeing these gains. It's still a little below average, below the historical trend, uh, but they're really starting to meet demand. And uh, of course, there's a lot of pent-up demand, so we're not seeing a lot of vehicles piling up on on lots yet. But uh, it's it's good to see the factories running. Good to see people back at work, and and maybe start to normalize the prices just a little. Right. Coming up, we'll hear from the CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation about how the Inflation Reduction Act's EV tax credits are taking shape. That's next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money Podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Some dealers say it's not worth taking a trade they won't retail. They say if it doesn't fit their brand, they'd rather pass. Cox Automotive says now you can easily see the profit in any trade and never risk losing that new customer. Introducing Upside by Cox Automotive, the only way to wholesale that turns that old wisdom upside down. Every vehicle you place in the Upside digital auction is backed by our guaranteed minimum price, so you never risk a loss. And when a vehicle sells for more than our guarantee, you keep the lion's share of the Upside. It's a -a one-of-a-kind auction that gives you an alternative to accepting wholesale losses, and it's built on the principles of the country's top-performing wholesale sellers, so your vehicles have the best possible chance to get bids and get bought. Dealers taking advantage of Upside's game-changing policies are already saying yes to more trades and making more money, all while never risking a loss. Sound too good to be true? Visit TakeTheUpside.com now to learn more. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The Inflation Reduction Act will have a big impact on the EV market going forward, but who knows what that impact will actually look like. The new law scrapped existing consumer tax incentives and replaced them with a new regime that has manufacturers, retailers, and consumers all still scratching their heads about which models will qualify. I recently spoke with John Bazella, CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, about the process for bringing the new incentives to a showroom near you. I caught up with him at the Los Angeles Auto Show. John Bozella, welcome to Daily Drive. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's really great to have you. I got to just start right in with the biggest question in the industry that all comes out of Washington. The, the billion dollar questions, really two, which electric vehicles are going to qualify for federal support come January 1st and how is it going to work? Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's such a mouthful of a question. I'll give you two brief answers. Uh, very few, and I'm not sure when many more vehicles will qualify. But let's go, I'll come back to that and fill in the blanks. I, I do want to give some context for your question because yeah. I, I think it's, a, it's an important one. The auto industry was very busy in the policy space this past year mm-hmm. uh, in Washington. If you look at it, there were three major policy initiatives that got done by Congress, two of them in a bipartisan way, that really set this industry on a course to solidify 
our cutting edge innovative future. So one was of course the bipartisan infrastructure uh, bill. Lots of good old fashioned infrastructure spending on roads and bridges and tunnels and water systems and things like that, airports, but also for the first time significant public spending uh, on EV charging infrastructure. Very, very important uh, to the transformation. Secondly, Chips and Science Act, right? So we have, and it's no surprise to your listeners uh, and to you, you've been in the middle of this, we have really been challenged from a severe shortage of auto-grade microprocessors that drive everything in the high-tech vehicles of today. And so to get that bill done, which will provide incentives for chip manufacturers to fabricate auto-grade chips here in the United States will really help us over the midterm. So again, solidifying our innovative future. And then thirdly, the bill you're talking about, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which before we get to the consumer incentives, it's important to recognize this is groundbreaking legislation on both the supply side Mm -hmm. as well as on the demand side. So what you see on the supply side are tax credits and grant programs and other incentives for the supply base and the manufacturing footprint of this country to transform. And then also, of course, um, on the demand side. So where are we um, with regard to these demand incentives? We are in the midst of a very uh, intense process of working with the U.S. Treasury and the IRS to develop a set of guidance and regulations that's going to help answer that question. How many vehicles will qualify for what portion of the credit over what period of time? There is no question that the bill is incredibly complex uh, and is really designed more to accelerate the shift of critical minerals and important components of EV manufacturing away from China. It isn't really designed to be a consumer incentive. In my view, it's a bit of a missed opportunity. We've been very clear about that. Uh, But I think overall, the bill is critically important to the industry's future. Well, so it does create, you know, the the rules about first vehicles have to be made in North America. So that ruled out about 70%, two thirds of the market. Um, Then we start having rules about uh, income of buyers, the uh, battery components, the critical minerals. And so I'm I just have so many questions around you. How are we going to be able to document these things? How do you, are we going to go to an IRS website and, and be able to fill out a form and say, yes, I have a certificate that says I can qualify. There's just so many questions about how, how the mechanics of the thing is going to work. Yes, such a great question. We have been in the middle of this Alliance for Automotive Innovation. We have been bringing the industry perspective together with the regulators and policymakers who are going to have to develop these rules. One of the things we proposed was the idea of a portal because you're exactly right. There's so many different inputs. There's customer information. There's manufacturer information. There's import-export information. There's information about content. There's information about, uh, you know, country of origin with regard to components. It is enormously complex. In my 25 years or so at the intersection of the industry and public policy, I've I've never seen anything this complex. And so I do think the idea of a portal um, where information can flow into a central place and be available to consumers uh, as well as manufacturers and the public is going to be uh, important. I mean, is there time to get something like that up and running by the end of the year? Yeah, I, I think at the very least, the policymakers and certainly the, the Internal Revenue Service should at least make 
certain things clear, right? I think there are still some fuzzy areas where the, the intent of Congress needs to be clarified. And I do think that it's possible that by the end of the year, the IRS and the Department of the Treasury will kind of issue at least an initial uh, layout of the guidance that will give manufacturers some certainty. But whether the portal set up and everything, you know, set and done by the end of the year uh, is is still an open question. So that's if we have the rules we have that were passed and signed in in this past uh, very busy year. But we also have a number of really important automakers, including you know Hyundai, whose stand we're at right now here at the Los Angeles Auto Show, who have asked for some leeway, some wiggle room, some slow walking of some of the requirements. Do you think there's any chance, is there any chance that these rules are going to be changed at all? Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, our focus right now is getting the guidance right, creating as much certainty and flexibility uh, as we can within the four walls that Congress has created. Mm -hmm. However, I think the questions that are being raised by diplomats Mm -hmm. from automaking countries around the world are critical questions. Mm -hmm. I know the administration is hearing these questions. So I think we have to see how uh, diplomacy uh, develops uh, and how things uh, continue to work out. So before we can really answer that question with certainty, we have to understand sort of how that diplomatic process plays out. And then really how Congress organizes itself post-election. Well, because that just made me wonder, you know, if Raphael Warnock wins another runoff election and the Democrats and affiliated independents would have 51 votes, maybe they don't need the Joe Manchin rules or at least could, you know, could work around Mr. Manchin and, and I don't want to say water down, but, you know, soften some of the uh, the urgency around some of these really restrictive rules that act to reduce EV adoption or at least just don't encourage EV adoption as much as they encourage, you know, resourcing of minerals and battery components. That's right. There's no there's no question that where we are in the market today is <laughs> it, it's uncertain to me as I sit here today whether we are going to be able to achieve the goals that the industry has set out for itself uh, and that regulators have set out for the industry. Uh, So the tools in the toolbox that we've all been talking about, whether it's support for the transformation of the industrial base or whether it's priming the demand pump, giving consumers another reason to experience great technology um, that's coming into the marketplace, those tools are needed. And by the way, it's happening all around the world, mm-hmm. right? This is how EV markets are being built in Europe. These are This is how the EV market is being built in China. So we risk falling behind other auto-making regions of the world if we don't continue to encourage the development of this transformative market. It is not simply about benefits here at home or for the climate. We, on a normal year, pre-pandemic, export roughly 2 million vehicles built by Americans and American plants all around this country to countries all around the world. I want to keep that business. I'd like to make sure that six or seven assembly plants worth of exports are continue, continue to be valued by countries all around the world. That is what why we need to continue to build out this market. I could literally talk all day about this uh, this market and how it's transitioning, but I want to touch on another key part of technology that's also uh, in the crosshairs in Washington. You 
wrote in a recent column that the uh, U.S. government is the biggest, one of the biggest obstacles to ramping up self-driving on U.S. roads. Why is that? And, and what maybe could the Biden administration do about it? Yeah, we are at a critical point in the development of automated vehicle technology. We are moving now from research and development to the proving out of use cases and business models. And in order to do that, we really do need to test and deploy highly automated vehicles at scale on American roads. In order to do that, two things have to happen. One, federal motor vehicle safety standards. In other words, the rules that manufacturers follow to certified vehicles are safe need to be reimagined for a world in which there are no eyeballs and there are no hands and there are no feet, you know, responsible for moving the vehicle. That can't happen overnight. NHTSA has to do a rulemaking process that's going to take years. So there's an interim process that the agency needs to go through, and that is to set up a process that companies can come in and assure safety uh, and apply for an opportunity um, to get these vehicles onto public roads in, in, you know, in, a, in a safe way. That process is not underway yet uh, or, or in place yet, and it needs to be in place. And the process of reimagining federal motor vehicle safety standards, in my view, is not moving as quickly as it needs to move. So what is happening here is that's the impediment. And again, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, when you think about the EV market and the competitive dynamics, I think there's a competitive imperative here too. Um, other nations are laying out a broad policy framework that allows the innovators to innovate and allows vehicles to safely move into the public market. That is not happening here and it needs to. Do you feel like there's a, a consensus around how to do that, at least among your members, or is it something that just needs a real ground up. Process. Oh, there's definitely a consensus. We laid out, you know, almost two years ago now, uh, what we call the AV policy roadmap. We laid out, I mean, 16 specific policy steps that the federal government and actually state governments can take to do this. Hmm. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. The National Highway Traffic Administration has under its current authority, the ability to uh, develop a demonstration program that would allow companies to demonstrate that the vehicles that are using self-driving software are as safe or safer than the vehicles they'd be, they, that they would replace and then therefore be able to bring a number of those vehicles into the marketplace in a way where NHTSA can learn and develop and capture the data that will help them rewrite the rules. That's one example. Another example is there's a current uh, exemption program under federal law that will that allows a limited number of vehicles to come into the market that don't meet basic safety standards. Mm -hmm. Well, you can only use that ex quote exemption unquote if you demonstrate that the vehicle you're bringing in is safe as safe or safer. That's another tool that they could currently use. So we've laid out you know a roadmap for the agency. I, I believe they're working um, toward this goal, but I think there needs to be a greater sense of urgency, and that was what I was trying to get at in my blog. All right. Well, uh, so much more to discuss, but we'll have to leave it there today. John Mozella, thank you so much for joining me and sharing the perspective from Washington. Fantastic. Good to be with you. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer and reporters Hannah Brock and Lonnie Iliff for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on new EV tax incentives 
manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for my conversation with Autumn Neary, Associate Curator for the Peterson Automotive Museum, about its new Tesla display. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.